Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Dave Roberts, and I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, and this is the Living Grace in Today's World podcast. In today's episode, I want to talk about a struggle many people have when it comes to grace. I've had several conversations over the years, and especially this past week, about this whole idea of what it means to show grace. We might be able to get to the point of understanding God's grace extended to us because of the selfless sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We might be able to understand how our performance could never merit or earn grace, so it has to be a completely free gift. Let's say we get to that point of understanding grace, but then does Jesus expect me to be a person who also now shows grace to others? And if so, what does that look like? Is, is it even possible for a human being to have such divine grace for other people? In one conversation I had, the, the person was talking about the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I know you're thinking, here we go, the prodigal son. Really, again, bear with me, please. <laughs> Let me give you a recap. That's the story where the prodigal takes his father's money, goes off to a distant land, lives very sinfully, then comes to his senses when he runs out of money, and returns to his father who welcomes him with open arms and throws him a party. This person was telling me how hard it is to be the father in the story when it comes to others who have not behaved well. She said, I don't think I would be all that excited to have a party. After all, what assurances do I have that this prodigal is not just using me for his own selfish reasons, taking advantage of grace? How, how do I know they're truly repentant and have truly changed? I find that to be incredibly honest and revealing about how many of us struggle with the whole concept of extending grace to the wayward, dysfunctional, even rebellious people in our lives. After all, there, there's nothing in the story of Luke 15 that indicates the prodigal is going to live up to his commitments uh, or is not going to relapse into distant land living again. Should complete pardon, complete no-strings-attached grace be granted? Maybe there should be at least some conditions for his re-entry into the Father's house. Yet, the story indicates there's no conditions, no expectations, no standards. It was just, welcome home, son, and rejoice, because this son of mine who was dead has come to life. He who was lost has been found. So let's just wrestle with that a bit. Should we extend grace to people not knowing for sure if they will continue with their good behavior commitments? Think of it this way. If the goal is to help them live up to the new life they have, what's the best path to get there? On one hand, we could have some behavioral benchmarks for them and their spiritual growth, which include the gaining of some knowledge, yes, and the overcoming of sinful patterns and the initiation of some good deed routines in their life. We could monitor their progress in all this, highlighting their successes and, well, dishing out some penalties for missteps in their spiritual plan, all in the uh, hope of bringing about 
uh, better behavior. Or, on the other hand, we could just lavish grace on them with no strings attached, no conditions, nothing, just grace. Which of the two has the best chance to produce the life, the true change they desire? Reminds me of a story from the Civil War during the era of slavery. A rich northerner went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. He didn't do it to own her, but to free her. After the purchase, as they were walking away together, the man turned to the girl and told her, You're free! She looked at him with this disbelief. She couldn't understand what he was saying, and so she she began to ask questions to see what you're free really meant. She says, Do you mean I am free to do whatever I want? Of course, he said. Can I say whatever I want? Of course, anything. Are you saying I can choose to be whatever I want to be? Absolutely. One more question, she says. Does this even mean I can go wherever I want to go? The man said, absolutely, yes. You can go wherever you want to go. She looked him straight in the eye and said, then I'm going with you. As human beings, we are so behavior-based that we think controlling or manipulating the behavior of others is the only way to help them change. We can't just set them free. We go around holding people to standards and then relationally punish them for their failures, and we've convinced ourselves it's for their own good. We want to keep some form of relational leverage over them. We can't just set them free, can we? And what I'm saying is that if you really want to see them change, set them free. Sometimes I uh, look back at sermons I preached 15, 20, 25 years ago, and uh, (laughs) I end up telling God how sorry I am for the things I said. I remember back then, each Sunday, trying to construct a sermon that would highlight the benefits God would dish out if people would just change. I would include the consequences of sin and performing poorly also. I would craft it in such a way to make people convicted to make promises to God to change. Well, actually, the word convicted is not the right word. I made them feel guilty to spark them to necessary behavioral corrections to be a better performing Christian. And yet, year after year, you know what I noticed? People struggle with the same issues, the same sins, the same lack of spiritual growth. What I've come to find out is this. There's only one way to live the Christian life successfully, and that is to give up trying to live the Christian life successfully. (laughs) Only Jesus can live the Christian life because it's his life. So we invite him to live his life through us, as us. If what I need is improvement in my behavior, that will not happen when I'm trying to improve my behavior. (laughs) 
but will only come by giving Jesus my complete attention. He bought us like the northerner bought the slave girl. And when he bought us, he set us free, which just makes us want more and more of him because he is so good to us. I mean, can you imagine the slave girl living in the home of her new friend and causing trouble after all he had done for her? No, she was just so blessed, overjoyed for the life she had been given. Okay, I'm going to poke a little deeper. Is that okay? <laughs> Let's say in the story of the prodigal son, you are both the father and the prodigal. Do you forgive yourself? Do you issue yourself grace? Well, it's important because I've talked to so many people over the years who just feel better about life if they can endure some kind of punishment for their sin, some kind of penance, which they feel is so well-deserved. It's like it's what makes the whole world right with them. They can't seem to let themselves off the hook. It's not fair. It's not just. But as I've said many times, grace is not fair. That's the point of it. Grace is a lavish, generous expression of love only given to the one completely undeserving. If the benefit is earned in any way, you can't call it grace. Well, call it something else, but don't call it grace. When Christians uh, tell me um, they just can't forgive themselves for their failings or their sins, I remind them of Romans 8.1 that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you self-condemn, you are disagreeing with God who doesn't condemn. In fact, it is a form of rebellion against the truth of God when you don't extend yourself grace. Accept the freedom you've been given. Quit climbing back into the prison of condemnation because it seems like what you deserve. Your propensity to self-condemn for failures or to self-commend for successes is your prison. That keeps you from experiencing Jesus and his grace. It reminds me of a clip from the old Bob Newhart show, where a lady comes in for counseling. He, Newhart plays a psychologist in the sitcom. And this lady just begins pouring out her heart and how she has this great fear of being buried in a box. And it paralyzes her and she can't go into anything that looks like a box. And he, the psychologist, says, Okay, I have two words for you. And if you do these two words, your life will change forever. It's very dramatic. <laughs> she asks if she should write the words down. and He says, well, people can usually remember these two words. <laughs> okay, so she says, all right, I'm ready for the two words. And he leans across the desk and says very forcefully, stop it. She, she gives all kinds of reasons for her fear, and he repeats the words, stop it. <laughs> I think of that a lot because people hang on to things like 
destructive thought patterns or unbiblical beliefs or let their life be dictated by how they feel rather than what is true. And uh, they don't need some kind of therapy. Just stop it. Stop the unbelief. Decide today that you'll believe what is true no matter how you feel about it. Stop beating yourself up over every sin. God doesn't. Stop thinking you're something special over every success. Stop it. So here's my closing thought. The more you see yourself as the sum of your behavior, the more you are embracing a false identity. The more you see yourself as the new creation of God through the lavishly poured out grace of God, the more you embrace the real you, the changed you, the free you, the new you in Jesus. Thanks for joining me today.